so glad you're here. This is the Efficiency Bee Podcast, and I'm your host, Melissa Leone. This is the podcast where we talk about bold ideas to live a balanced life. We talk about things from time management and efficiency to organization, business, parenting, all of these things wrapped up into one. I hope you join me each week as we interview amazing people who work hard and do their best to make their own world a better place. You've heard of a queen bee, a honeybee, or a busy bee? This is Efficiency Bee. Hi, how are you? Hi, so great. Thanks for having me today. So glad you're here. Melanie, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I was on Melanie's uh, podcast just a couple weeks ago, and so we've already connected and have so much to talk about. I'm really excited to have you come talk to my audience and tell us all about you. So why don't you start with who you are, where you come from, and how you do life? Sure. So my name is Melanie Hicks. Uh, I am a thought leader and consultant in workforce and education. I've spent my my career doing that. I own a small consulting firm called In Pursuit and a small publishing house called Inked Elephant Publishing House. I'm really excited about both of those initiatives. And I also um, work with the Warrior Scholar Project. Um, so a lot of hats uh, to wear, uh, but have uh, enjoyed a variety of jobs from education to nonprofit to workforce and just really enjoy talking to people about you know, following your dreams and being the best version of yourself. And that means being productive and non-stressed and, you know, living the life that you actually want to live. So I am excited to be here today and to talk all about those things. Uh, Amazing. You're definitely one of my people who likes to get involved in a lot of things. That's uh, definitely part of who I am. So let's start with In Pursuit because that's how I know you, right? Um, So there's a podcast, there's a consulting company. And what do you do there and how do you help people? Sure. So In Pursuit was founded in 2009 um, very organically. Um, It began as helping nonprofits navigate the legislative process. I was actually working in public policy at the time. And it evolved over time to do all kinds of training from board training to employee and organizational culture training to uh, HR training. I have a a senior SHRM certification, so we do all kind of HR. So really, it's a training firm, a professional development firm. So we come in and we just offer both customized, unique, and we have an offering of seven different workshops that kind of are available anytime. Um, And we can do those live or in person and just engaging, um, you know, engaging employees and helping them re-engage and stay focused on you know, the good parts about their job and giving them an outlet to talk about the parts that are challenging and how do they overcome and mitigate those challenges as an organization. It's such an interesting time in the world to be doing that work too. Yeah. I just posted on uh, Facebook, I don't think Instagram took the link, but I posted yesterday on social media, an article in the Wall Street Journal about how difficult it's been for people to stay focused right now. And they were encouraging, this particular article was encouraging employers to take things away and, you know, do an inventory of what you're asking your people to do and really focus in on it because everybody's so scattered and a a little still dizzy from the last two years. Um, It's just a really interesting time to be in the workforce, I think. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because um, I did my dissertation on the psychological contract, which is basically workplace expectations, what we bring into the workforce and I, that was many, many years ago, <laughs> too many. Um, 
But it's never been more relevant than right now. Thinking about the way that what the expectations that we have when we take a job or when we're in a job and we have uh, any sort of change um, or just even the the disruption of the pandemic. Even if you didn't change jobs, if you were a lucky person who got to keep your job and maintained it and didn't uh, decide to leave, your expectations in a lot of ways from coming home and and re you know having this complete rupture in the workforce, you know a lot of expectations have changed. And so it's funny I see the you know we we've heard the term quiet quitting quite a bit recently, yeah. and I laugh because that is a a wonderful term for it, a better term. But I was talking about it in two thousand seven when I was writing my dissertation. We just called it disengagement, mm-hmm. and it, a much less fun term, but the same concept. So these concepts have been around they're just finally being talked about in a real way and, and really thought about intentionality when we're talking about how to keep our good people, you know, how to keep people from burnout, how to keep people engaged and excited about the work that's ahead of them. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, connection is one of the pillars of efficiency, bitch, as I think I've mentioned to you and, and I go out of my way. I kind of always have to be involved with people who are who are interested in topics that I'm interested in, right? Like I said, on the board at Planned Parenthood, and I, I want to be part of things that I connect with as an individual. And we see all this quiet quitting, to, as you said. Well, we could use your word too, disengagement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it is that. If you don't feel connected to what you're doing, it's really hard to stay engaged. So what are some of the things that you talk to people about um, employers or employees on how to help with the disengagement? Sure. So we have in pursuit over the years, I developed this um, system of how to get people to talk about these things. And it, it evolved into what I call the three E method of change. And so the three E's are excavate your attic, um, uh, Excavate! <laughs> wow, I can't remember my own method. Uh, excavate your attic, uh, eliminate your obligations, and embolden your resolve. And what those mean is really sometimes we load up our. Ba- I have a great author friend named Jen Pasteloff who wrote a book called On Being Human, and she talks about carrying a backpack to work. Uh, she worked in in news cafe, which is an old. Uh, it's not there anymore, but it was in L.A. And she would carry this big uh, back Jansport backpack to work every day, and the the cooks in the kitchen knew it was so full and they would tease her by putting things in the backpack like frying pans or cantaloupes. And they would bet on how long it would take her to realize that there was this extra thing in her backpack because she didn't go home every night and unpack it. She just woke up the next morning and brought it back. And she said sometimes it'd be days before she realized that they had put all these things in her backpack. And I thought, what a great metaphor for life. Um, we end up saying yes to a lot of things. And until we stop and realize all the things that are sitting on our plate or in our backpack, um, we're carrying around a lot of things that we aren't really paying attention. And some of those things don't serve us, right? And there, some of those things, if you're you know, a really empathic, uh, empathetic person, you tend to take on other people's feelings. Those go in your backpack. If you're having stress from work, that goes in your backpack. And until we stop and kind of what I call excavate your attic, right? Really say, let's dig all this out. Let's open the boxes, blow off the dust, decide what's up there and and relieve ourselves of the things that no longer serve us. And that is eliminate your obligations is that second piece, which is, okay, now what do I have to do? How do I gracefully exit from some of these commitments? And I think in the workplace, we talk about, you know, are you doing things a certain way because it's always been done that way? And from a leadership, organizational leadership standpoint, it's, does the organization still need to be doing that in today's day and age? And, you know, we've gone through a major workforce, uh, you know, revolution and 
it, it might not have been your choosing. I mean, certainly the pandemic wasn't anyone's choosing, but even the things that happened during the pandemic might not have been your choosing, but uh, you know, the reality is they're here. And so what doesn't serve the organization and then personally what might not serve you and how can you navigate that? And then embolden your resolve is really about being brave enough to take the steps. You, a lot of people make plans that they never execute because they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, for one reason or another, they're fearful, they're not brave enough. They're, um, they have a voice in their head that is telling them, you know, it's really, it boils down to fear really, but different reasons for the fear and different ways that that fear manifests itself. And so really, you know, building up the courage, both from a organizational or a personal standpoint to say, okay, these, we've, we've identified these changes. We've made, we've brought them out. They definitely need to happen. So how do we, um, you know, how do we get strong enough and make the right decisions to make, to make those changes? Mm-hmm. My 11 year old is insanely insightful. This child of mine, I'm gonna tell you two examples of this, but literally both of these things came out of this child's mouth. The first one is she told me that, you know, there's always cartoons of like the devil and the angels sitting on your shoulders. And she says, but they're both always there. You just let one get louder. And so it, it lowers the volume on the other. And I'm like, how did you? Yes, that's exactly what happens. But she recognizes, right, that there's always two voices in her head going, you're brave enough to do that. No, you're not. That's going to be scary. People are going to laugh at you. Go sit down. And she said to me, if I listen to the one that's telling me to go sit down, pretty soon that voice is going to get so loud. I can't hear the other one, even though it's still there. And I was like, yes, babe, that's so true. Yes. Hang on to that for your entire life because it is that like we all have the courage to do it. We just maybe have turned the volume down so low that we can't hear it anymore. And I think we just need to be reminded sometimes that that, that little angel cartoon is still sitting on your shoulder trying to get your attention, whispering to you that you have the power to, to make the changes and to quit your job or speak up at work for a raise or leave the relationship that's toxic, pick your poison, right. but that you have the ability to, to kind of go through with that. Absolutely. And the other example that I just have to mom brag on this kid because she's phenomenal to me. She told me recently that she often feels like there's an invisible audience watching her. And if she um, is going to make a decision, she is scared of what the invisible audience will think of her. And I write about this particular example in my book that's coming out, but it is such a real thing to feel like there's an invisible audience staring at you all the time, judging your every move and not only judging your every move, giving you commands of what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And telling you like, as a woman, as a mother, you have to do this. You have to look like this. You have to say these things at work. You have to be like this and like this, and you have to make sure to do this for your kids and make sure to do this for your husband. And that invisible audience starts to tell you what to do, how fast and when, and being willing and able to stand up to that invisible audience is like, I can't believe these things just came out of my 11 year old, but they're so like, duh to me, but I could never articulate them. (laughs) No, that's really true. And that's an interesting way to think about it because we talk a lot about like in general, people talk a lot about social media and in, in a sense that is an invisible audience, right? Mm. Most of social media is people putting out the best or the most controversial 
pick your poison, um, uh-huh. of themselves. It's not the full spherical picture of an entire human experience, right? And I mean, there's some exceptions to that. There are people who are pretty authentic and trying to do that as their kind of as their brand, as their personal authenticity. But for the most part, you have people who either really want to complain or draw controversy and that's the way that they get attention or they're just putting out the best version, this very Instagram. And I, I laugh. I just got back from Italy, as you know, and we were sitting – we we took a we did the path of the gods, which is a really challenging and and super fun hike up in the Amalfi Coast. And you get to the end, and you 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 come down seventeen hundred stairs to get into town. And this little town, um, Pasiatano Pasiatano, uh, is very. It's a beautiful town, and everyone there was dressed to the nines. And we're coming off a trail, right? We've just hiked for like seven hours. It's we're sweaty and gross and whatever, and we're still going to go find a glass of wine and, and a pizza. But uh, there was an entire row of people all taking like TikToks and Instagrams. And it was almost like a movie moment. Like I never expected to see. And you could tell because they were looking at the picture and doing it again and looking at the picture and doing it again. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like please don't let me be in the background of any of these because I look terrible. But but that's my invisible audience, right? I just don't yeah. want to be in here. But it was amazing to me, an amazing illustration of that – it's not that they aren't in that place. They are in that location. It's not a green screen. But are, they're not really having that experience. They're creating mm-hmm. a, a thing, right, for social media. And mm-hmm. that is an invisible audience that we, if we start to look at that as what we should be doing, then that becomes that like little, like amplifying the voices on your shoulders, right, is, is mm-hmm. that. That's really um, a great way to, to think about that. Yeah. And it's so complicated because it goes all the way through from your social life to your romantic relationships, to your work relationships and, and everywhere in between. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, that connection piece is, is so critical. And I, you know, you'll hear people say like, Oh, we're, we're not a connected uh, society anymore. We're all on social media all the time. And it sounds like to your point with uh, Italy that we, we might be just standing in line to do TikToks, but (laughs) But we're connecting just in a different way than we ever have in human history before. And it's like, there's good and bad to it. There is. I mean, the ability for us to do this podcast, for example, you know, in two different places, um, at a convenient time in our schedules, you know, all of these things are wonderful versions of where we are in the world and the connectedness we can have um, when it's used right. But there is a whole sort of darker side of that, which is... When, when it's not used, you know, to the best yeah. of, of our human experience, right? Like, or, or used in place of a, a real authentic human experience. And it can really be really complicated as an employee looking at your friends thinking, oh, my employer's bad. I'm going to go over there. So I'm going to quiet quit or disengage today, right? Because that employer over there is probably better than the one I have today. And all of those things kind of loop back together, right? Absolutely. You know, the other thing that I um and that I talk about, and I also have an upcoming book coming out in March. Um, but I really um and it's it's a personal memoir, but it ties into having being okay with life having chapters, right? I think sometimes we are afraid to make changes. Um, and this is more on the personal side, but it can relate to your personal career and your career choices too. But we're a little bit afraid to make certain changes because we carry those titles. Like you were talking about earlier, like 
what you're supposed to do as a mom, what you're supposed to do as a, and, and it becomes, this is who I am. I am a mother, a consultant, a educator, a podcaster, you know, whatever. And we forget that those are just things we've decided to engage in now. And it's okay to have a chapter and to then close that chapter if it doesn't serve you. And sometimes, you know, it, we hold on to things or we stay in places that we shouldn't just because we were carrying around labels and we're afraid of what letting go of that label means, right? Um, there's an old adage forever and ever ago, really around the boomers as much as anything about them staying longer in the workplace than any other generation because they don't know what life without work is. And they don't know how to transition to non-paid work. And those people who have been most successful in retirement, for example, have been those people who transitioned from paid work to non-paid work in a really meaningful way, a way that actually meant something to them, not just I'm obligatorily going to fill my days with stuff, but like I really found something I'm really passionate about and I'm excited that I get to do it now and no, it doesn't pay me, but I'm going to do it. And though that's um, kind of the basis. I'm actually in the just kicking off starting uh, to write my second book with um, a colleague named John Dingler and we're writing on the intrinsic value of work and like work up separate from vocation and work as it relates to, um, you know, this, this real meaning that it gives us, even if that work is, uh, completely unpaid. Yeah, I completely agree. I cannot imagine, well, I'm only 42, but I, I can't imagine life without work. I can imagine retirement from my job, <laughs> but I can't imagine life without work in it. It just doesn't, I don't want to sit and watch TV all day. Right. Or I don't even want to read all the books of the world if I was retired doing nothing. So I, I'm i completely with you. Did you and I talk about Ikigai when we were on your podcast? Um, I don't know. I talk about that a lot, so I'm not sure if we if we did or not. Because <laughs> I think I mentioned it to you, and you were like, I know all about that, but just very rarely people do. So yeah. how about I let you talk about Ikigai? Because it changed a lot of a lot of my perspective on things, too. Yeah, yeah. So when I um, decided I, I needed to make a career change, um, I was working in a in a, the corporate world, and it just it wasn't impactful enough. It wasn't deeply, authentically impactful enough. I, it was a little bit too profit driven for me, and I and I wanted to be more. And I also was at a position where I didn't get to be hands on. I wanted to be more hands on with clients, and so I um, had I actually when I was seventeen. I was at an amusement park and I wanted, there's a, there's a phrase and I'm uh, uh, going to butcher some French right here. I'm going to caveat that right now, but it's like um, resistant or something of that nature. That means the same, roughly the same thing in, um, in French. And I really wanted to have that. Um, I was, I bought a leather bracelet and I was going to have it like, you know, the leather uh-huh. whatever. And I really wanted to have that, but I didn't know how to spell it. And this was like, my phone had no signal. This was long time ago when we barely had cell phones. And so I was like, I can't, I can't do that. But I, I remembered Ikigai and I remember that it was the same concept. And I'm like, well, just put that on there. And I've been wearing that bracelet for like 20 years. I have, uh, I don't wear it every day, but I still have it. And amazingly, it's still like, you know, hasn't crumbled apart. It's real leather, I guess. Uh, and it really struck me again. I, I like I saw it sitting on my dresser. Um, and when I was going through this, like, thought about like, who am I without this corporate job? I, I, I built my career to be in this place, to have this, you know, whatever, this prestige of whatever I had. And I thought, okay, well, 
this isn't my calling. Like this isn't my thing. So I sat down, I did this Venn diagram of, um, you know, everything that I was good at and I knew that it was, it was worth people paying me for and everything I really, really loved to do, regardless of if I was that great at it or not. And I just looked at the overlap and I said, that is the closest I'm going to get to Ikigai, right? Mm-hmm. This where it overlaps is going to be the place that I am supposed to be, this, this innate, passionate, but I'm also good at it and it's vocation, but it's also, you know, true um, where I want to be. And so that's, uh, that was my kind of my closest experience. And mm-hmm. that's how I re in, in pursuit had been around, but I really focused and revamped in pursuit based on that. And it's how I founded Inked Elephant because I knew that I had been, I wrote my first book at 10 years old. I wanted to be doing writing. I want to be helping amplify other people doing writing. And so that's how, um, you know, how, how the redesign of In Pursuit happened and how Inked Elephant was founded was based on these. And I apparently have a thing for eyes. So, you know, Ikigai, Inked Elephant, <laughs> you know. Uh. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. It it definitely changed my perspective. That's how my podcast was born. And it's what forced me to get over the line for my book. I thought I wanted to write a book on teaching parents how to talk to their kids about money. Very passionate about uh, financial literacy. I'm very passionate about education for money management in general, which is what I do for my job. It's what I what I like to do. Um, and then I was introduced to this concept of ikigai, and it was all those intersections of what does the world need and what are you good at, um, what can you get paid? I think what what can you get paid to do? I don't know. There was another a fourth that you mentioned, and and I I was like it's helping other women follow what they want to do and, um, and get everything you want and delegate what you don't need because that part is so hard. And so that's, that's Mm -hmm. what it changed my topic of my book from money management to the five pillars that efficiency bitch is all about today. And it created the podcast and it, it totally changed my perspective on everything. Absolutely. So tell me about um, your your new book that's coming out, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up on time here soon. So I meant, I want to make sure to hear all about that. Yeah, so my book is called Incongruent: Travel Trauma Transformation, and it's a memoir. It is um, the the backbone of it is a trip um, a, a, or my my trek to Everest Base Camp and back, which is a fourteen day trek, eight days up and six days down, and all the adventures that the team had on that during that fourteen days. Um, but it also it at each stop along the way, um, there is something that ties back to some other life lesson, and a lot most of those life lessons for me have happened through travel. So both travel to heal myself from trauma, travel to open my eyes to cultures and understanding, and kind of sh- it travel really became the the core of what shaped me as the woman that I am today, and it and it has influences on virtually every aspect of my life, um, from my beliefs about money, my beliefs about, um, you know, humanity, my beliefs about, um, spirituality, um, you know, my own shaping as my career and vocation and service and all of these things. And so it's all kind of rooted in travel. And so along that particular trip, which is the backbone of the book, there is all these tiebacks to other, other life lessons learned through travel and other experiences that I had. And really it's meant to be, um, for people to, you know, and 
I actually have in my writer's circle, I have men and they have connected with it too. But I mostly say um, that women will, you know, are the primary audience to connect with really finding your voice and not being afraid uh, to to do the things that are in your heart once you figure out what those things are, no matter if you have to do them alone or no matter if people tell you that they're crazy. If you know they're in your heart that they are right, then you can do it. And there's lots of instances of me um, tripping over myself trying to do those things, trying to to battle the two angel and devils on my shoulders. Um, but in the end, being really proud of the decisions um, that I made along the way or being proud of owning the bad decisions. Yeah, that's a hard part to do too. <laughs> because we all have them, right? Yeah, yeah. It was hard to look, it's hard to look yourself in the mirror and admit that there was, you know, an action or a chapter or you know, just a bad decision and that you have to own that and understand it had consequences. And mm-hmm. now it's your, but you're also allowed to heal. You're allowed to own it and to heal and to move on and not carry that in your backpack for, for life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to um, wrap this up. Can you tell everybody where to find you? What's the best way to get in touch and to hear all about the new news of when your book launches? Sure. So um, you can check out Inked Elephant at inkedelephant.org. That's our publishing house. And it also has an author bio and you can get in touch with me through there. Um, You can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, Instagram is Inked Elephant Publishing or In Pursuit Mel Sue. Uh, So either the Twitter is In Pursuit Mel Sue. So lots of ways to get in touch with me. Um, And I would love to hear from anyone who is interested in my book or wants to talk about their own book. And I'll have a writing contest. Inked Elephant's having a writing contest that's coming out. Uh, within the next couple of weeks, so watch for that if you're interested. And what's that about? What are you gonna What are you gonna do there? Um, so we're uh, we're having one fiction and one nonfiction, and the top winner will have a cash prize. the um, The top ten will be published in a book, um, an annual. We're going to start an annual publication, so the, the Inked Elephant Short Story annual publication, and there'll be a fiction and a nonfiction version of those. Uh, and this is volume one. And so the top 10 will, will all get a chance to be published. They'll get a free copy and then they can get um, discounted copies as many as they would like. And the um, and then there's a cash prize for the top, the very top prize. Very cool. Well, if you're listening to this and you've thought about writing a book, sounds like this is a great opportunity because I'll tell you, it was the best therapy I could have ever experienced in my life. And it's like once it started, it doesn't stop. I'm already thinking about what to write next. And yeah. Um, it's definitely addicting. It can be very overwhelming. So having a publisher is very, very helpful. Somebody who can help you navigate and a writing coach. And I know Melanie's all those things. So, all right. Well, we will put all those links in the show notes and thank you again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you again. Great to see you too. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. I am so blessed to have so many cool people on the show. And I really enjoy doing it. If you enjoy listening, please make sure you go and leave a review. These reviews mean a lot in the podcasting world. It's kind of like our version of likes. It helps push the algorithms in the system so that more people can find the episodes and can find the show altogether. So any podcast you love, make sure you're leaving ratings all the time really means a lot to us. Hope to see you on my social media page at Efficiency B. We're going to be doing big things there over the next couple weeks, and I hope you check it out. Till next time, see ya.